0: Well, Jim's in Israel, and uh, it's good to, it's a privilege and an honor to be able to speak with you this morning. There was a time where I would not have counted it a privilege or an honor to speak with you on Sunday morning at Calvary. Don't get me wrong, I love to preach, I love to teach, uh, but the nice thing about Calvary Church is there's so many ministries, there's so many opportunities to do it in smaller venues. Sunday night is is double, sometimes triple, what my church that I grew up in was, and it's, it was just more comfortable. I was comfortable with that. But a couple years ago, I felt like God told me, I felt like he said, Steve, I want to prepare you because I want you to preach on Sunday morning. And it was so distinct that uh, it unnerved me. And I prayed about it for a few weeks. And not long after that, I, was, I found myself in my office with Tom Olson and Jim Samra, And Jim was talking about his dad. His dad was, uh, his health was failing quickly. And he said, you know, my dad could even go this week. And if he does, I won't be able to preach on Sunday morning. Tom spoke up and said, well, I'm going to be out out of the country on a short-term mission trip. I can't be available. And the two of them were bantering back and forth, talking about uh, who they might ask uh, to be waiting in the wings to preach. And I was increasingly getting nervous and feeling like God had said, I need to preach and I need to tell these guys this, but I was a coward. Went home that night and felt like the Lord just beat me up over it, but I was afraid. I I had a problem. I lacked courage. We've been studying Peter for what six seven months now studying first Peter and we've even looked into his life a little bit and Jim's talked about how Peter literally the name means rock solid talked about how that he was so bold and courageous for God he's the most written about apostle in the new testament he would eventually die a martyr but you know what Peter wasn't always courageous Peter wasn't always that brave. You know the story about him denying Christ three times. Jim mentioned it last week. Quickly in review, uh, Jesus had been arrested by the officials. And they had taken him. And Peter was following from a distance behind. They took Jesus inside the residence of the high priest. And there was a courtyard. And Peter stayed there. He found a fire. He's warming. His hands up at the fire and three times he denies Christ. The first two times people come up to him and say, aren't you the guy? You're the guy with, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And Peter says, no, he just, first two times he just simply says, no, I'm not, you're mistaken, I'm sorry. But the third time, it's striking what Peter said. Mark says, he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Now it's clearer in the Greek but what Peter is saying here is he's saying I am not the person. I am not a follower of Jesus Christ and if I am lying may the supernatural powers of the heavens curse me. This is Peter. This is the Peter we've been studying. The Peter who has written these words of wisdom that we're trying to apply to our life How does Peter get from being that much of a wimp and a coward to being the Peter that we're studying and reading about? The question I want to answer this morning for you is, how does a Christian move from lacking courage to courageously building the kingdom of God? There's a number of verses that we're going to have to go through to explain The premise of my of the answer to that question but key to answering that question is in Acts chapter 2 page 883 in your pew Bibles if you'd like to turn there now what's going on here is that Jesus has uh, been crucified he's risen from the dead he has presented himself to his apostles and others over a period of about 40 days And right before he ascended into heaven, he tells his apostles, he says, I want you to go back to the house you're staying in, to the room you're staying in. It was up a flight of stairs. It's called the upper room. He says, I want you to go up to this upper room and I want you to wait there until you receive the Holy Spirit. Verse one, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, it goes on to say that what the Spirit enabled them to do was to speak different languages that they didn't know because they were in Jerusalem. It was a multi-ethnic city. There were people that spoke different languages, and what the Spirit did, it filled them and then it empowered them to go out and speak and witness to Christ in individual languages. And it says that about 3,000 were saved that day. But key to understanding how a person moves from lacking courage to building the kingdom of God is found in the word filled. You see, this is a new manifestation of the Spirit. Prior to this, the Spirit did not fill people. Prior to this, the Holy Spirit came up on people and empowered them to do certain tasks, and then it would leave. I want to give you a couple examples. Judges 3, children of Israel have been held captive by a country named Aaron for eight years. and In Judges 3, it says that God raised up a guy named Othniel. Judges 3.10 says, the Spirit of the Lord came on him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan rishathaim king of Aaron, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. Now notice the Spirit of God came upon Othniel simply for the task of rescuing Israel from bondage. Just for the task. And once it was over, it leaves. A more popular example is in regards to both Saul and David. In 1 Samuel 11, the author writes uh, that the city of Jabesh, the Israeli city of Jabesh, uh, was held captive by an enemy. This was prior to Saul becoming king, and for Samuel 11:6 says, "When Saul heard their words, the spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. It goes on to say that the Spirit of God empowered him to go to war and to free the city of Jabesh. Now In this example, the spirit stays on Saul because Saul becomes king immediately after. But as we've studied before, Saul isn't king very long because he sins and he makes God angry. And so the spirit of God leaves Saul and goes on to David, 1 Samuel 16. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David And now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. So prior to Acts 2, prior to the day of Pentecost, the way the Spirit operated is the Spirit would come upon individuals to accomplish a task. And it would leave when one of two things happened. When the task was accomplished and finished, or when the person became too sinful for the Spirit to be able to use. This is why in Psalms 51.11, David begs God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You see, David knew how the Spirit worked. He had seen the Spirit be on Saul and empowering him to be king. And and then he saw how Israel had rebelled, I mean, how Saul had sinned and rebelled and and how the Spirit left him. David had his own bouts with sin and he'd find himself begging God, please don't. He knew the power of that made him king and gave him the ability to be king was the power of the spirit. And he knew he couldn't do it without the power of the spirit. So he'd ask God, please don't take it from me. The disciples, they have uh, they experienced this as well in Mark 9. Some of the disciples are trying to cast out a demon of a young man. They had done it before. They had healed several people through the power of the spirit. And in Mark 9, they're trying to cast out the demon and they can't do it. The spirit in the young man is too strong for him. And Jesus comes down from a mountainside and he tells them the reason they couldn't cast out the spirit is because of their lack of faith. Their faith was directed towards themselves and not confident in God. And because of their sin, the spirit was no longer able to work and do this miraculous work. So you can see Peter, he's by this fire. Look, he's not scared in the scene prior to that when Jesus is with him. When the soldiers come to take Jesus, what does Peter do? He pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of a soldier, right? That's pretty brave. It's stupid, but it's brave. (laughs) But he's in this courtyard. Jesus is gone, and he's feeling alone, and he doesn't feel like the Spirit's with him. He knows how the Spirit operates, and and each time that he denies Christ, he becomes even more confident, the Spirit's surely not going to be with me. Then, but Peter should have remembered something, something that Jesus kept telling the apostles. It's throughout the gospels. Jesus kept saying, I'm going to leave, but when I leave, know you're not alone because I'm gonna send my spirit to be with you. Here's one example, John 14. Jesus says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. Look at that present tense. He lives with you, but future tense, he will be in you. There it is again. Jesus is saying there's coming a day where the spirit of God will no longer just rest upon you, but it will be in you. But even more striking than that is Jesus' claim that it's going to be with them forever. Forever. On what basis is Jesus saying that the Spirit of God is going to be in a person forever? 650 years earlier, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied about a day that's coming that adds clarity as to why Jesus would say this. Ezekiel 36, God speaks through Ezekiel, and God says, "'There's coming a day when I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities.'" I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in me. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. See, God's saying there's coming a day when I'm going to actively participate in cleaning the vessel and preparing the vessel for the Holy Spirit. No longer will the Spirit's residence in my people, be contingent on their ability to live holy lives. But from now on, it's going to be contingent on my son's ability and worthiness to clean the vessel. And my son's worthy. And my son's able. If you're a Christian today, every one of you has the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit inside you. The third person of the Trinity is a permanent resident. What does that mean? What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to indwell us? And even more so, what does it mean in answering the question, how do you move from lacking courage to courageously building the kingdom of God? Jesus used this analogy in John 7. He said, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers Of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. I recently read about the power and the magnitude of the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River starts in Clearwater, Minnesota, and it wells up, and at the beginning of it, it's only 25 feet wide and it flows 2,350 miles down the Gulf of Mexico. And in one place, it's as wide as 11 miles. It's huge. And it travels thousands of miles giving life and sustenance to plants and animals and even people. 31 states use its water from its watershed and two Canadian provinces. What God is saying, he's saying, Jesus is saying, you are a wellspring of power. I have put my spirit in you, not just to save you and to redeem you, but to build my kingdom here on earth. And when you yield and when you say yes, my spirit will bubble up through you and will bring life to dry places. I know this is going to be hard for many of you to believe, but I first heard about the depths of the grace of God as a freshman on the campus of The Ohio State University. (laughs) There are Christians at Ohio State University. (laughs) I, I had been raised by wonderful Christian parents, but we went to a church that taught that you were saved by grace, but after that you had to keep your salvation through works of righteousness. That is, they didn't understand the transition that happened in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. They, they literally taught that the Spirit would leave you when you became too sinful. As a freshman at Ohio State, I was trying to live for God, but my motivation was fear. And for me, it wasn't working. And I met a guy by the name of Matt DeYoung. Matt DeYoung was working on his PhD at the time, and he's actually now a professor at Hope. And Matt explained to me through scripture the permanent residence of the Holy Spirit in my life. He explained to me that God is not only the author of my salvation, but he's the finisher. He explained to me that, and he didn't have to do much convincing because I knew this about myself, that if I was trying to get on my own righteousness to heaven, I was going to be a complete failure. But that Jesus paid it all for my sins. It was radical for me. And for the first time I ever remember, I dedicated my life to Christ and said, I trust you, God, to save me to the uttermost. I trust you from the beginning to the end because I can't do it myself. Matt himself was raised in an agnostic home and somebody on campus had shared Christ with him. And so he was excited about sharing Jesus and after he shared it with me, he said, hey, Steve, let's go. Let's go share it with somebody else. And I said, no, that's OK. You go on. You do your thing. But thank you for that information. But he kept begging me and, uh, and said, just come on. And so one morning, he came and got me at, the, at my dorm room. I agreed to go. And we went over the student union. 100 feet over, we saw this guy. He's sitting in a chair. He's reading. Matt looks at me and says, Steve, go talk to him. Go tell him what I told you. I said, no, he's reading. And he's <laughs> He's like, so he nudged me and grinned. And we went over there and met a man by the name of Derek. Derek uh, was from somewhat of a troubled home. He was an only child. Neither he nor his parents were believers. His dad was an extreme alcoholic. We explained grace and explained Jesus to him. And he prayed with us there. And then Derek started going to church with us. And eventually, just a couple years later, his mom got saved. He, an aunt, he witnessed to an aunt, she got saved. It took a lot of years, but just recently, his dad, right before he died, his dad gave his life to Jesus as well. I wanted to show you a picture of Derek and his family today. Derek, they've had 10 kids. Unfortunately, they lost one. There's nine there that they're in the wrap. And Becky, the mom, is ahead of a baby. I don't know if you can see that. Nine kids. Talk about a wellspring of living water. But God is saying that when you step out in faith, my spirit's able to bring life to people. And it continues. Think about it. Think about the guy who witnessed to Dr. DeYoung. He was willing to step out, no doubt of his comfort zone. And Matt was willing to step out and witness to me. And after Matt hogtied me and pulled me, I was willing to step out and witness to Derek. And Derek saw his parents saved, his aunt saved, and, and he's witnessed and saw friends saved and his nine beautiful kids that will grow up and be wellsprings of power for the Spirit of God. That's the imagery that Jesus is using. The Spirit of God lives in us, but we must yield. You see, once Peter realized Once Peter realized that the spirit, he wasn't alone and that the spirit of God was in him, he went, in just a matter of a little over 40 days, he went being outside by a fire, vehemently denying his Lord and Savior to being inside addressing the Sanhedrin. Now, the the Sanhedrin is the religious people of that day, the ones who had just had Jesus crucified. He and John are in there and they're demanding that he and John stop telling others about Jesus. And this is what Peter's reply is. Luke says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, know this, I love that attitude, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And oh, by the way, in regards to your request or your demand that John and I no longer tell about Jesus, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we had heard. Peter had experienced this power that's in him, well up. He'd experienced it healing the sick, casting out demons. He'd experienced it turning lives around. It puts families back together. It empowers Sunday school teachers to teach, community group leaders to lead, parking lot people to get us in and out safely. It's rivers of living water that goes out and brings life where death is reigning, brings order where chaos is found. After Jim and Tom had left my office, as I said, I, I went home and I felt like the Lord was beating me up, telling me I need to say something. And I know God doesn't talk like this, but this is how I felt it. The next morning, I felt like he said, Steve, are are you thinking that I'm asking you to preach on Sunday morning? Yeah, God, I, I, I thought that's what you're saying. I'm not asking you to preach on Sunday morning, dummy. I'm asking you to let my spirit preach in and through you on Sunday morning. Let me show you how this works. I was preparing this message, and as you've seen, there's a lot of verses. And I had, I had the theology down. I had the verses all lined up, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, half of them is going to be asleep. <laughs> I got to fill this with some illustrations and quotes. And I was thinking, you know, banging my head, thinking, how can I make this more colorful? And so I just said a prayer. I said, God, would you please give me at least one dynamic illustration and one quote? A couple days later, Kristen White, Kristen is a uh, co-worker of of ours here at Calvary, and she had just had the opportunity to go to Scotland to visit Andrew Corrier. Andrew was a pastor to College and Young Adults several years ago, and he left to do his PhD work at the University of Aberdeen. And she'd come back, and while she was over there, uh, Andrew Corrier had given her this book for me to, to read. So she handed it to me, and I said, is is there a reason why he wanted me to have this? And she says, I don't know. He just wanted you to have it as a gift. It's by a guy named William Still. And the title of it is Towards Spiritual Maturity, Overcoming All Evil in the Christian Life. I obviously had a good impression on Andrew. (laughs) But I did what I do with, with all the books. You know, the, us pastors, the congregation gives us lots of books. Uh, anytime there's something that an individual in the congregation wants to tell us, but they don't have the courage to do it, uh, they, they find a book. And then they say, hey, hey, I think you need this. Read this. So I can't possibly read all the books that I'm given. Uh, but what I do with every book that I'm given uh, is I ask God. I said, God, is there something in this book that you want me to get out of it? And so I just opened it up in the middle of the book, and I started reading, and within two pages... I read this, it cannot be too clearly stated or too often repeated that God has only one worker, the Holy Spirit. In all we hope to become and do for God, we never take over from him. That's my message. I I, I couldn't have written a better quote than that, but God was so intent on answering my prayer, he was so intent on empowering me to do to preach on Sunday morning, that he had somebody in Scotland send me a book. And I could go on and on about how God empowers the examples that he gives, the supernatural way that he shows up and empowers us to do those things that we feel like we simply can't do. So that morning, I, with all the courage I could muster up, I went into Jim's office, and. I said, now, Jim, I want you to keep an open mind. I I, I really didn't think he'd let me, because I didn't think he liked the way I preach. (laughs) And I said, I want you to keep an open mind and think before you speak. I said, I think it's God's will for me to to preach on Sunday. I think he told me that. And you know, the best thing about our senior pastor is he's sensitive to the spirit. And uh, his exact words were, "Okay, then you can preach. I was shocked for two seconds. And then I was mortified. (laughs) Sunday's coming. And I was, I was nervous. I was nervous the entire preparation time. I was nervous through all the music. I was nervous there in the seat. I'm saying, God, you're going to have to rescue me. But you know what? As soon as my foot hit the platform, the spirit of God took over. I said things in that sermon that I never even thought about before, and I trust they were right. <laughs> but, and I'm not saying I preached the best sermon in the world, but God accomplished what he wanted to do. The results are his business. Peter had to learn that you go from lacking courage to courageously building the kingdom of God when you realize you're not alone. And when you realize that when God asks you to do something, he's not asking you to do it. He's asking you to simply yield and say, yes, I'll let your Holy Spirit do it in and through me. It's a lesson I had to learn. And it's a lesson Lita, my friend, had to learn. Lita uh, is an attender here at Calvary, a member at Calvary. And she's currently on the Israel trip, trip with uh, Jim and the rest of the team. And, but her story is so powerful that I asked her, To put it on video of how she learned how god taught her to move from lacking courage to courageously building the kingdom
1: my name is lita and i've never really been much of a risk taker i've always been one who wants to play it comfortable and safe if it got outside my comfort zone i really didn't want any part of it and the same thing came when it came to serving god I wouldn't really listen if he wanted me to do anything that would be outside of my comfort zone because I was afraid I would try and I would fail. And I feared that more than anything. And then I got into the Gospel of John and I was reading the story of Jesus using the boy's lunch to feed the multitude. And I realized Jesus didn't need the boy's lunch. He could have fed the multitude without it. But he wanted to use what the boy offered to perform the miracle. He wanted to use the boy's lunch to feed the multitude. The boy, as a result, got the opportunity to be a part of what God was doing, and he got to see God in a new way. And I started to realize I was framing the question wrong. I was looking at what I was confident doing, what I thought I could do, instead of looking at what God could do through me. So I started to ask myself, okay God, what is it that you want me to do? And I found that God often has you do things that you wouldn't necessarily choose to do, wouldn't even want to do, but I've found in doing that, that you get to see God in a new way and I wouldn't trade any of the opportunities I've had for going back to the comfort zone that I lived in. I got an opportunity to read scripture in front of church, not an opportunity I would usually take because I am not a public speaker. I get nervous, I get sick to my stomach, blurred vision, hand shaking, forget everything I meant to say, I'm kind of a wreck when it comes to that. Uh, so I was expecting that that might happen again, but God wanted me to do it, okay, I was going to do it. So I found myself, surprisingly, just amazed, standing in front of church, realizing my hands aren't shaking and the words are still there to speak. And so it was just a, this beautiful moment of realizing God showed up. and. So I kind of expected the same when I got another opportunity to speak. Uh, I had an opportunity to pre- prepare a lesson for a group of women, and I kind of expected God's going to keep me from getting nervous and He's going to keep my words in my mouth. And well, that's not quite what happened. And so I actually found myself a few minutes before realizing I don't have words to say. And I prayed, like, Lord, really, I've been trusting you to show up. Are you really going to leave me to do this myself? And. I felt God responding really with a, are you really gonna trust me to show up? And so I had to admit, yeah, I needed to trust him and I wasn't really. So I trusted him to show up again. Resulted in a very terrifying moment of standing behind a podium with all eyes turned towards me in the room and realizing there's still no words to say. But then I opened my mouth to speak and the words just came. I still can't tell you what words I I spoke that day, but I can tell you that God provided them for me and helped me through that. And it's a beautiful memory of God showing up and helping me serve Him. I could give other examples of times when God's, you know, done the same kind of thing where He's steadied my nerves when I'm usually nervous, where He's given me wisdom that for situations that I just don't know what to do, and times that He's just had people come alongside me when I needed them, and I, he's freeing me from the comfort zone living I had always had, and he's giving me faith to trust that I can do what he calls me to do, and he will walk with me every step of the way through it.
0: Once you've tasted the Spirit of God working in and through you and empowering you to do things that you've never dreamt you could do, It's addicting. Jesus said that he's come to give us life and to give it to, us to the fullest, to give us abundant life. And while that promise is for every Christian, unfortunately, most Christians don't experience that type of life. Because you have to be willing to step out of your comfort zone. You have to be willing to say, yes, God, I'll, I'll go. Yes, God, I'll open my mouth. Yes, God, I'll, I'll do a, Yes, God, I'll leave the comfort of my security and I'll do what you're asking me to do. I had a professor professor once say to me, he said, Steve, never let there be a time in your life where you don't have at least one thing that if God doesn't show up, you're going to make a complete idiot out of yourself. He said, because that's where life is lived. That's where the joy comes. That's the abundant life. If you're here this morning and God has been asking you to do something, you need to say yes. You've talked to people long enough about it. I'll never say don't pray anymore, but you don't need to ask God anymore. He said yes, just, just do it. And you'll find that the Spirit of God will actually do it in and through you as you say yes. And I promise you this, like Peter found out, you'll gain a life worth living for. And also as Peter found out, A life worth dying for.